So give a round of applause to the other pastors that are here. They are super to work with. I particularly enjoy Doug's humor, and uh, even in announcements, and especially in staff meeting, and that's very, very helpful to us. Uh, Speaking of humor, I love it when I have it. (laughs) This is one of those messages where I wish I had more humor. Uh, I I know that uh, somebody has described my role as a preacher in every preacher's role when they get up and represent God and speak and teach God's word that we are called to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. (laughs) So I don't know what you are today, just be prepared (laughs) to be comforted if you're afflicted. Uh, I actually am bringing kind of a pokey message (laughs) And I feel a little bit like a doctor who's just about to give you a shot and say, this is going to hurt a little. And you brace yourself and here it comes. And so uh, I don't mean to bring a lot of disclaimers here, but again, I don't have the sugar to make the medicine go down a little bit more easy with this one that I wish I had. I literally had to start taking pieces out as this is just content-rich teaching rich as we bring this series, which is a difficult one, to convince everybody that we've been designed to serve and that we need to see our greatest value while we're serving God and others and that that's where we shape our lives to be and aim our trajectory to become servants. And so today in particular, the title is, Who Am I Serving? And as we bring this series to a conclusion today, I want to just begin with kind of a series wrap-up summary that helps us get into this message. It reads this way, on the screen too. We are by God's design, His servants. When we live to please God, our Lord is honored and we are blessed. When we live as though our chief aim is to please ourselves, God is dishonored, and we dishonor ourselves as well. I want to begin this teaching with three graphic slides, two of which come from uh, Bill Bright and his Campus Crusade ministry. Perhaps you have seen these um, in maybe the Four Spiritual Laws uh, tract that was put out many years ago. Uh, The self-directed life. Uh, Self is on the throne of the self-directed life. You'll notice that the cross is outside of the life there, representing how Christ is outside of that self-directed life. Interests are directed by self, and it results in discord and frustration. All those uh, various interests at different sizes are all over the place and aren't really organized or prioritized properly. And that's what that represents. This is in contrast to the Christ-directed life. The Christ-directed life, the first thing you notice is that Christ is on the throne and self is not on the throne but bows to Christ and worships Christ and serves Christ. Uh, When I say Christ, 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 I'm talking about Jesus. Jesus, the anointed Messiah, our King. And we are his subjects and we're serving him and his commission. He commissioned each one of us, if we are his subjects, to spread the gospel, and we're serving that cause in some way. Sometimes it's particularly within our giftedness. Other times we just show up and are available, and we're not operating in our gifts. We're just serving. And so that's the Christ-directed life. I wish that it was simple as that, but we need to put in a third slide 
Unfortunately, it's quite possible to believe in God and the gospel of Jesus and live a self-serving life in disobedience. And so I'm gonna call this a self-serving believer, which is an oxymoron because Jesus rescued us from being a slave, if you were here last week, to the wrong master in the wrong kingdom to become a part of his kingdom, the kingdom of light, and serving the correct and only true king of kings and lord of lords. So it's a little bit of an oxymoron, but uh, to be honest, we all slip into times where we are directing ourselves and operating according to our self-interests, and we become self-centered, and when we become self-centered, we make our story all about us. And Jesus has called us to be about him. And he is authoring a new story in us. And we're kind of jumping out of the right book and going rogue when we are in this pattern. So in a self-serving believer's life, self is on the throne. Christ may be in our life, but the spirit is grieved because we are disobedient believers. And disobedient believers will harvest what they are sowing. That's Galatians. God is not mocked, Galatians says. You will reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you're gonna reap corruption. You're gonna reap frustration. And if you sow to the spirit, you're gonna reap blessing and joy and honor. And unless we repent of our disobedience, frustrations will escalate from uh, just mere frustrations and difficulties to fixations and addictions that will eventually master us and wreak havoc on others and ourselves. So that's just a quick intro on some possibilities of where each of us is sitting in this room. And so at this point, we need to um, ask ourselves the question of the day, who am I serving? Now we're gonna be spending a bulk of our time together in a major challenge of the servant of God by the name of Joshua, who confronted Israel, who had slipped into compromise and being too casual with their God and with whom they were in covenant with. And we're gonna get to this phrase, but we're gonna start here as the key challenge in Joshua 24, 15, where he challenges the people of Israel, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. So we're gonna look at the context there and some of the phrases that he uses. And as we do so, you need to recognize that this challenge is for us. And the challenge that Joshua met in his day 1400 BC um, is the same challenge that we meet here together in our day. And so I want to talk about that challenge a little bit. Before we jump into reading it, here's a little bit of background. Joshua was God's chosen successor to Moses. Moses was the one, as you recall, that God chose to lead his people out of slavery. We've been talking about some of those images, into serving him in covenant. And Moses led the people out on a little journey that was, could have been a real short journey, but because of their rebellion, it became a really lengthy journey that wiped out the adult population that had been entrenched in false idolatrous ideas and began to rebel against God in the wilderness. Every one of the adults that were the first generation leaders died in the 40 years of wilderness wandering so that only the next generation could enter into the promised land. 
Moses himself um, failed towards the end of this journey and um, didn't get to enter into the promised land, uh, but gave Joshua, his successor, the charge, and then charged him with the charge from God to lead his people into conquest mode in the promised land. Here's a major challenge in the promised land. It's occupied by fortified cities, nations, that in terms of population and numbers, in terms of fortifications, in terms of strength and power, they far outnumbered the Israelites. And so the major challenge to dispossess that land which God promised to his chosen nation. Now here's where it gets a little prickly. A lot of people have trouble with a God who charges his people to execute judgment in that day. I understand that. But be careful. If you have trouble with a God who executes judgment through people, you'll have trouble with a God who executes judgment at all. If we did not have pictures of judgment in history, I doubt we would, any one of us, believe that there is a real judgment to come in the future. And God made it very, very clear that this people in this land were horrifically wicked. I've studied it some. It's so horrific, I refuse to teach the details in this kind of audience. There are too many young ears in here. It is grossly horrific what they did and called worship. Okay? God was very careful in his instructions to protect his people so they wouldn't become like this people. Joshua had a major challenge, even though God, in his powerful presence, because of his blessing, were destroyed bursting and discharging and rooting out all the pagan nations and they literally can move into the cities and have homes and, but and when it, the task is complete. They failed to complete the task and they failed to root them completely out and the second generation became corrupted. What they saw in the wickedness of Canaan and the beliefs in their gods and what came in the practices with the beliefs in their gods and what they began to believe would take place if they took on those practices, they fell prey to their culture. In other words, they thought they were the chosen people of God, but they became so casual in their covenant with God, they began to think it was okay to add to their covenant with God these other practices that the culture around them made for them seem normal and okay and acceptable. And God said it's intolerable. So when we read Joshua 24, here's the question I want you to have in your mind. Is it possible that we American Christians have become too casual about our covenant commitment to our God as we live in an increasingly pagan culture and what we are constantly hearing are pagan ideas, foreign concepts that are in exactly the opposite direction of God's will. And it's become so normal for us to hear and see it that we begin to think we can add Jesus Christ to our life and not root that out of our lives. If we just stop there, that 
would be sufficient probably. But we want to poke and prod. The New Testament tells us we gather together to spur one another on. The last time I checked, spurs don't feel good. <laughs> okay? Joshua 24, 14 through 15. This is the last chapter of Joshua. This is after all the blessings that God has shown them. And Joshua, who had seen it before, is seeing it again. Joshua, who saw the judgment upon the God's chosen people who couldn't be blessed by God because of their casualness towards God and rebellion, left them behind. And now he's seeing this is inevitable in our future if I can't turn this around. And so now we read this. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Picture Joshua, old by this time, but vigorous like a prophet who's fiery in what he says, okay? He knows, and he's going to just confront. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The first thing I want us to see here is the way in which the word serve and the word worship are interchangeable. You see that there? Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped. They began to serve the wrong gods. You worship me, you serve me alone. These are uh, statements from Moses' revealed law that came from God to Moses. And he's challenging them to stop worshiping worshiping and serving these gods and worship the Lord God alone. So, point number one, serving God is worship. Serving God is worship. By the way, this is why, traditionally, a gathering of church people that have come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ is following in the pattern of the gathering of God's people that came together at the temple. They had a worship service. Their practices that they would do that was considered serving their God. And so we gather together, and there are certain practices that we do. We still sing hymns and praises and songs before God like we're commanded in the New Covenant as our act of worshiping our God. And we're hearing instruction and being equipped if you don't mind um, me making kind of an interesting illustration, in, in football, okay, you've got, in your offense, you've got a huddle. This is it. You cannot run the plays that the church is running if you keep missing the huddle. You've got to come together in the huddle and be equipped. There's also training and practices, so you've got to have the practices too. We're talking about some of those practices in a moment. But you need the huddle. And not only that, now in a hurry-up offense, you might have to go through plays without huddles, but you have been practicing so well that there are audibles, there are quick messaging, there's all kinds of instant 
uh, feedback back and forth, and you're on a hurry-up offense. I believe we're in a hurry-up offense time, but that doesn't mean we don't huddle, okay? We've got to get this going for us. Serving God is worship. Point number two, fear of the Lord is foundational. Did you notice what Joshua began with? Verse 14, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Now, this concept is pervasive throughout scripture. You'll particularly find it in the wisdom literature, but it's pervasive, and we're, I'm gonna make sure that you understand that we didn't drop this out when we went to the new covenant. I'm gonna show you something there to make sure you understand that that's still in place. Um, Joshua is confronting this whole community because what has taken place is they are too casual with the true God. And they've become too casual with the true God, thinking they can do what they want instead of doing what God's will is. We talked about this um, throughout this series. If you haven't heard the rest of the series, I would encourage you to go back and check the rest of the series out as well. So, ironically, they still believed they were God's chosen people in covenant with him, and yet they included many false practices and beliefs and even worshiping graven images and having other gods before them, which was strictly forbidden in the, even in the Ten Commandments over and over again. And they thought somehow this was okay. So I just want to put an image up on the screen. It's about as okay as in a married couple. You got a married couple image there? It's about as okay as a married couple being so casual with their covenant vows that they just include as part of their um, daily practice keeping mistresses and having adulterous affairs and dating whoever they want to, even though they've committed to each other in covenant. That's what marriage is. It is you only will I be faithful to. And I'm not going to allow others to rip us apart in this relationship. And yet, spiritually speaking, every time we become too casual with God and start practicing pagan thought, that means irreligious thought that's outside of a true God teaching us, uh, you, you quickly accept ideas that are abhorrent to God and practices that are in the exact opposite direction of God. And God cannot bless that, and it's going to go really, really badly. So if it doesn't work in marriage, why would we think it works with our God? Probably the greatest problem facing the church today is that we have lost the concept of the fear of the Lord, and we've become too casual in our relationship with God. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Possible signs that you might be too casual with God. Okay, it might pinch a little. Here comes some of the pokey stuff, all right? Have you become blind to intolerable idols of our culture? Chances are very good that you have because we eat, we sleep, we breathe our culture in with so many more hours of intake than the hours of disciplined intake of God's word. How do you hope to set your course on the trajectory that God's will and God's word sets you into motion if you're just drinking in the world's content hour upon hour beyond your 
instruction you've committed to set your trajectory by when you're in covenant with God. If you think that just a little bit on Sundays is going to keep all of this straight for you, I'm sorry, I'm just not that good. (laughs) No one is. You have to, according to God's instruction, learn how to chew the meat for yourself. And Jesus described over and over again, you're in a kingdom of God. And he described what it's like. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All the rest will come to you if you do this. If you seek him not first, but try to fit him into your life, it, it's so reversed, it doesn't work. You have to seek him first and his ways first. And as you seek him first, what does this look like? It, to really know God. See, being in his kingdom is not I know this in my head. I know the doctrinal truths. Jesus came, he died on the cross for me, and he took my sins away. I believe that, and so I'm so excited. I now have the ticket to heaven. But are you living in the kingdom? To live in the kingdom means you're getting to know God. And the way you get to know God in this, is in this interactive relationship. It's the exchange It's the interaction exchange that is taking place when you're meeting with God. If you don't have those interaction exchanges taking place when you're meeting with God, how in the world do you think you know God? The only way you can know a person is by interactive exchanges where they become uh, moved from an acquaintance you knew something about to somebody you began to know and trust. We say we trust God, but if we don't have interactive interchanges with God himself, we are living a concept, like a ticket, and we will be just like the people Joshua is confronting, where their lives are turned upside down by everything else and they don't see it. Sorry, this is going to hurt a little. So here's a place that's a real common idol in our culture. You might think, we don't bow down to idols. Yes, you do. We do. I do. I slip into this. Do you see this idol in front of you on the screen? Our American forefathers who are believers in God knew this was such a common idol for so many people and still is that they're going to put a label on the idol so that we would remember not to make this an idol, that we don't trust in our money for our security. We don't trust in our money for our happiness. We don't trust in our money to build a life. We don't trust in our money to, to create the good life. We must trust in God. And if we trust in money for all of that, we need to listen to Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 6, 24 said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's one or the other. That doesn't mean you get rid of all your money. Good luck. You can't even, it doesn't mean you get rid of all your possessions. It means all your possessions are God's possessions and you just manage it. What he directs you to do, you do. By the way, Jesus instructs us very clearly. When money gets a hold of you and money is your master and making you do things that you don't want to do so you can get money 
and that's how you're living and you're trusting in money instead of trusting in God, he says, here's how you break that back. Give it away. Be generous. Because the more you're generous, the more he'll be generous to you to, to let you be generous further. And that's how it breaks the back of all of the lies that we believe about money. Are you too casual with God as it relates to your wallet, your portfolio, your security, and how you view money? In God, we trust. Next, I'd like to talk about have we let our comfort and grace make us too casual with regard to obedience? May it never be. The fear of God is still foundational, even in the new covenant. This is Paul, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Paul wrote, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking about the fear of the Lord. Okay? With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill God's purpose. So before you get the wrong idea, you're not so afraid of God that you can obey him so that as long as you obey him, he could now love you. That isn't it. Okay? It is you revere God so much and love him so much, are in awe of him so much that you're working out with fear and trembling before God in awe, your salvation. And your salvation is being worked into you by God. That's why I made sure I highlighted, work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. You cannot save yourself. It's only by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who took your sins away, releases resurrection power by his spirit placed within you that you can be cleaned up. But the miracle of the cross is now you can work out a salvation inside of you, a cleanup inside of you, where you literally are dispossessing the evil inside of you the way the people were supposed to dispossess the evil inside of the land that they were to now occupy. By the way, you might go through your house and dispossess your house of all the things that are on the wrong track, that are of this world, that you're still clinging to. Or he says to the, the people, throw your idols away. But they're valuable. Throw them away. These are objects that are now animated by the power of Satan himself so that the false beliefs he's actually animating and making work for you and you begin to believe it more. Throw it away. Turn to God's truth. The truth will set you free. But I'll lose so Burn it. You're losing more by keeping it. Okay, this is, this is how strong uh, Joshua is coming through. We have become too casual with regard to the disciplines of prayer and scripture, reading and study, and many other disciplines as well to train us to be good truly because he's set us free to be good truly, not just forgiven, Become good. So, the next uh, art on the screen. (laughs) 
we're too casual with regard to prayer. And we've talked about that whole kingdom life business and actual interactions with God to get to know God. Um, we're going to revisit that one as it relates to our heart attitude when that's taking place. Let's, let me hit another one now. Have we become too casual with regard to church? So, with regard to church, we're commanded by Jesus to seek first his kingdom, and God himself says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This is a command in Hebrews chapter 10, 25. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, in this context in Hebrews, that's that very context where he uses the phrase, because we come together to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And so, um, here, here it comes, the spur. What does it say about us if we are habitually late to the meeting God is asking us to never neglect? What does it say about us, about how casual we've become to the concept of gathering together in our worship service? I'm sorry if you were late today. <laughs> I would hate to be late today and hear that. Let me just say carefully, I'm so glad you're here today. I'd rather you be late then not come. So the next time you're late, don't go, man, I'm not going to face that shame again. I'm not even going to go. I'd rather you be late than not come at all. But what does it say about us who are chronically late? If we did that with people, chronically late to a date we set up, what does that say to them? What if we literally stand them up on a date over and over again. And have you ever made a commitment, Lord, I'm going to meet with you, I'm going to pray, I'm going to study, and then you stand him up on that commitment? We need to be follow-through kind of people where we are in this practice, 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 so that in game day, it comes through us. And we have game day every day, but we got to have at home in our own lives, the practice and the disciplines that make our game days work where we're opened up and filled up and ready and supercharged and when the battle hits, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, right? We've got to meet with these active interactions with our God. That wasn't too bad. That's what they say after they give you the shot, right? (laughs) Okay? Okay? We, we, go, we got through that, but it's for our good that we took that. And we need to become uh, even more intentional and less slip, slip, slot. Yeah. Slip, slodge, all right? Be more intentional and get those things going the right direction. All right. So. Point number one was serving God is worship. Point number two is fear of the Lord is foundational. Point number three is only God is worthy of our worship. Only God is worthy of our worship. So we've been saying this around here, love God wholeheartedly. And so we've also said throw anything out of your life that has become a distracting fixation because God is the only fixation that actually fixes you. Every other fixation will undo you. Oh crud, I'm looking at the clock and... We're going to be in trouble. Let's zip along. Uh, Joshua 24, 15 reads, 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors, uh, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to pause with just me and my household. Parents, this is not just an individual thing. You are being supercharged to model it, to teach it, to lead it, and to lead your family. Okay? And we need to do so. Dads, particularly, listen. There are many postures in worship and according to the scholars, the more, most common posture that the Israelites took when they began to worship God with reverence and awe as a community was standing, which surprised me. However, you will run into bowing down before God, kneeling before God repeatedly, like 199 times under my quick search, okay? And that is something that I just want to ask you. Have you become so casual with prayer, so casual with God, when was the last time you bowed before him? When was the last time you kneeled before him, humbling yourself? When was the last time you laid prostrate? Not to be confused with prostate, prostate okay? <laughs> prostrate means laying down on the floor, face down before God in abject humility because he's so great, okay? When was the last time you took any of these postures as you humbled yourself before God because he's on the throne and he's the mighty one? That's, this is a question worth asking ourselves because one day, everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and they'll bow before the Almighty. And bowing to Jesus is to the glory of God the Father. It was all God's plan. This does not mean that everyone will be saved. This means everyone will know the truth. And for those who wait till they have no choice but to bow, it will be too late. So my question to you is just like Joshua's question to them. Choose this day to bow. Choose this day now before it's too late. I think it's appropriate for me to just read Psalm 95, 6 through 7. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the temple of, we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. To bow, to worship is where you're going to find the foundation to have this trajectory to serve him always and to serve others and love it. Would you stand with me at this time? We're going to finish with a prayer that we finished with last week and had the longer one and earlier on in the series. If you are willing to bow your heart, it's really, uh, this is what we're saying. Bow before the king on the throne, willing to be an agent for his good purposes and serve, you're willing to pray this prayer. So let's read it out loud. I'm not making you choose this day. If it seems good to you, say this out loud with me. My dear Lord Jesus Christ, I humble myself and bow my knee before you. 
I worship and serve you as my Lord and Savior. I am your servant. I offer myself to you. I will serve, honor, and obey you. Here am I. Send me. Amen. Now, undoubtedly, some of you thought, well, why didn't we just bow here and now? You can do that if you'd like to stay around and bow here and now. Some people, if I put the pressure on them, they would do it, but it'd take three people to get them off the ground and help them walk out of here, and I didn't want to put that pressure on anybody. Um, So, and you can go home, and you can do this. Maybe this is the week where you do this for a week and see what shifts inside of you. I can't wait to begin the series next week. It's a new series called The Story of Reality where we begin to look at the story of salvation. The history, real history, is reality and what God did to bring about the story of reality for our lives. And so I hope you'll uh, be excited about that. I am. I'm way over time. Forgive me for that. We've got prayer team to the left of the stage. They'd be happy to pray with you about anything. God bless you and see you next week.